0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Thursday, November 21st, and this is episode 15 of the Marty Called podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Skipper Ben. What's up, Ben?
1: Now recording. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the Sultan of Saki. How's it going, Josh? I'm done. I worked th- <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> And hell will be nice and warm for you. <laughs> That's
2: where all my friends are going to be.
0: Well, if there's any question, uh, the Imagineering story is right up our alley. That'll be a uh, topic of discussion for later on in this episode. Uh, But we intended to talk about uh, Hagrid's last episode, and Ben has an upcoming trip to Universal, so it's uh, perfect fodder for that. Uh, ben, why don't you talk about your trip first, and then you and I can uh, discuss how how great a ride Hagrid's is.
1: Well, yeah. Uh, by the time anybody's listening to this, uh, we'll be have traveled out to Orlando, uh, and this will be our first ever Universal only trip. We're going out for a long weekend, uh, going for four days in the park, and we did that so we could ride Hagrid's at least twice. Uh, okay. So that's about all we're gonna do. I, I think uh, two days per ride is is about the equivalent of uh, what it's taking to get on that thing right now.
0: You should actually, in all seriousness, be fine because this should be, well, going in uh, the week before Thanksgiving, crowds should be relatively light. And as long as you rope drop the park, you'll be able to get on a couple of times if you don't mind uh, going through Single Rider.
1: Well, we got a father-in-law that's going that has to have a wheelchair, so we'll be well, okay.
0: Well, uh, you got you to leave the smaller <laughs> people behind, Ben. <laughs> we'll be okay.
1: <laughs> uh, no, we're really looking forward to it, though. This is... Uh, like I said, we're we're only doing Universal uh, for that entire time, and so uh, which is really tough to do. Knowing Galaxy's Edge is open right down the street, and I still have not been there yet, but we're saving that for the summer. Uh, if, if Rise of the Resistance or was open during this trip, then I would have fought a lot harder to uh, pay the money to to spend a day there. But our uh, season passes are currently out, and we'll be getting new ones next summer, so I can't justify the uh, single day admission price of Hollywood Studios without the major attraction open. So, uh, yeah, we're going to spend our time at universal, do everything there. The kids are excited. Uh, this will be the, usually when we go, we, we spend the majority of our trips at Disney and then one, maybe two days at universal. And which means we tend to have to rush through those parks to get everything done. So I'm actually looking really forward to being able to take our time and just slow down, take everything in and, uh, you know, treat, give those parks the uh, time they, they deserve. So, uh it's gonna be a fun time
0: on any given trip what is the most um, what are the most amount of days you spent in a universal park two two okay yeah a uh, single two per park
1: no 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 two overall okay yeah
0: I believe I've had a, di- a trip where i where I did three days there, but for the most part, it's one or two um now when like, I work the sentiment
2: I've, I've done two I... consecutive days of islands of adventure. Back oh yeah, day, back when it first opened I, I've I've and and that was fine
1: yeah th- there's enough things that there that we just love to do over and over that uh I, I'm not worried about it whatsoever we're gonna we'll get our rides in uh now when I worked out there I did have season passes uh okay. two of the two of the summers so I've spent you know an extensive amount of time in those parks but that was also pre potter and all the all the stuff that's gone in over the last 10 years so uh uh, th- this will, this will be nice to, to like both the kids have the wines for Harry Potter. And again, we don't tend to have enough time doing that uh, like they would like when we're do when we only have one or two days in those parks. So I think we have like, you know, hours blocked off to just let them wander around and do as many spells as they want without having to rush to get somewhere else. Sure. So, uh, you know, little, little things like that. though that we'll take advantage of. Now, just
2: out of curiosity? Starting? Sorry. As a, as a parent of, of kids, do they? I, I I remember being a kid. Going, do they need food and water? <laughs> they do. Are they like a chia pet to you? Water them <laughs> once and then they're just fine. How's that work?
0: They, you know, child concept to me. They, they poop I specific, a lot.
2: I specifically remember going to Disney as a kid, and I would get really bummed out when my parents wanted to go eat a meal because I wanted to go hit attractions. So. You know, obviously back then things like, you know, Source of the magic kingdom and all any of these interactive experiences didn't exist. So, or none of mm-hmm. them exist, I should say. So.
0: But like the post-show experiences at Epcot kind of are on par with that. Yeah, they are. And I think that
2: the older me would really have spent a lot more time there, but as a youngster, <laughs> 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 this is my traditional cough or sneeze into the microphone during the show. Much um,
0: appreciated.
2: You know, I, I even then I even though I did like it because I was always kind of a nerd and I appreciated technology, I was anxious to get to the next main attraction. It it, it does sort of surprise me that a young kid would want to do something like the the interactive stuff instead of getting to the next ride.
1: These things had the payoff though, that that gives it the experience of, you know, being an attraction in and of itself. If these things were as just incredibly lame little turn a light on and turn a light off. You know, I think they would get bored with it really quick, but yeah. make, making it rain and making it, making chandeliers illuminate. There's a strip club
0: in Harry Potter world. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent yeah. reference.
1: You, you obviously haven't gone down Nocturn Alley yet, <laughs> uh, but no, the, the, ex, the, the payoffs on these interactive deals are
2: good. Daddy, enough. what's AIDS. <laughs> Don't cut this out of the show. Tim.
1: <laughs> see, have you seen the Haley Joel Osment episode of Walker, Texas Ranger? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Walker says, "I have AIDS."
0: <laughs> we'll put that at the end of the show.
1: What were we talking about?
0: <laughs> uh, Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> Crap's. Yes. <laughs> uh, wand experience with Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. we have. <laughs> we have a show title. <laughs>
2: I don't want uh, him to have eight. <laughs> uh,
1: so uh, Hagrids, we'll 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 get back to that. So uh, that what led us into this talk <laughs> of my trip? Transition. Dynamite <laughs> transition. Uh, I wanted to get into Tim and uh, his opinions on Hagrids because we didn't touch on that last last episode, and and that was something he got to experience on his last trip. So uh, give us the lowdown. What would you think?
0: Sure. So uh, Hagrids is a great ride, uh, first and foremost. For me, I put it at Expedition Everest level. I don't think that that is degrading it at all, but some people will probably take that to mean that that's degrading. I just I think it's an excellent ride. Um, I wouldn't begrudge anybody that says it's their favorite ride. that Universal has done or even their favorite ride in Florida. For me personally, I feel I still feel that Spider-Man's the best ride in that park. And if I were to if I were to put them in order, I'd say Spider-Man Forbidden Journey and Hagrid's uh, in that order. Um, I'm also getting old because I did Hagrid's twice and then forbidden journey and felt a little woozy, uh, halfway through (laughs) forbidden journey. So, uh, I don't know if my stomach can, uh, can handle, uh, all of that in, you know, an hour and a half.
2: Did you pop out your seven day Monday through Saturday? No, no, not, not quite. Not quite. No. All right. Well, there's your problem,
0: (laughs) but no, I, I thought the ride was great. Um, the anytime you're doing outdoor animatronics you need to be a little bit uh forgiving on some of them and for for outdoor animatronics they were they were solid uh i mean it's not going to be as good as the shaman and navi river journey and anybody yeah. that's expecting that is unrealistic. it's a such a significant improvement over Dragon challenge just from an aesthetic to the land standpoint uh one of my big complaints about hogsmeade was that Dragon Challenge just seems so out of place. And this fits substantially better, just thematically in it. And it is a very reasonable argument to make that Hogsmeade is the best-themed land in the world right now because you have two fantastic attractions plus the Hogwarts Express and all of the environmental components that are in there. So it's a, it's a great addition. There's no no way around it uh, other than that. Um, it sounds like it's getting a little bit more reliable, uh, aside from the occasional bumblebee attack, is it bumblebee or yellow jackets? I don't know what bumblebees probably wouldn't attack, but some sort of uh, stinging animal then uh, is, is attacking guests. how frequently is that right?
2: happening? That doesn't sound ideal.
0: <laughs> Often enough that it's a known issue with the attraction. Yeah, I say. Wow. Um, well, I,
1: I I did find that funny when that story came around, because I actually had to report this uh, similar deal this summer when we were out there. There was a uh, wasp nest at the very top of the lift hill on Rip Ride Rocket. And as as you're leaning backwards and cresting over and literally I saw, you know, it had to be 50 wasps swirling around right as you come over the top. And so, yes, I had to uh, let people know right right at the end. And so I, I feel sorry for the exterminator who has to get at the top of that thing. Soon. And, and there is uh, a I
2: very, very non-zero chance that you're going to get stuck at the top of Rip Ride Rocket as well. So <laughs> yes. That's, that's, yes. Not a, that's not an insignificant threat. It's far I better
0: say, than it's tough to be a bug effect. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, de- yeah, it definitely seems like it's an issue out there, uh, you know, uh, with with uh, I don't know what's, what's attracting them to th- those areas of the parks, but it's not. Uh, Something that's just only happened over at Hagrid's. Well, they said that
0: honeycomb is uh, just as strong as steel. So they were using that for coaster supports. (laughs) But I mean, aside from that, and I assume that is a solvable problem um, and it very well may have been solved. Uh, I had admittedly haven't been keeping up with uh, with wait times on it since my trip. But I was able to uh, to go on through single rider, a point of note on the single rider line there is you wait in the traditional standby line and then there's a breaking point with maybe like half an hour to 45 minutes left in the standby line. And you can jump into single rider. So it's not like a, uh, the entire line is single rider. You do have to wait a little bit, but still a shorter time. Uh, You do miss uh, the pre-show with, uh, with Hagrid and I I actually never saw the full pre-show. So Ben, you can tell me what I'm missing. I didn't see it either. Okay.
1: Yep. We we got put into the side entrance and, uh, didn't I never saw? Because uh, the other time I rode it was single rider as well, so uh, didn't didn't see it.
0: So the uh, the second time that I rode, um, it did stall uh, right before. Like I it was I, I just left the load area. I, I didn't even get to the first launch, and they were giving everybody any time uh, express passes for anything in the park uh, after that. And I I had a very uh, once uh, once the ride started again, there were no interruptions on it. But it seems like they are making sure that everybody gets the chance to experience this in the correct way. So they,
1: they gave you an express pass for something else. They didn't just give you the option to re-ride right then.
0: They, they gave an express pass that I could have used for that, but it was good for anything. So they've got a few huh. different versions of express pass. And I think there's, Uh, the the one that's distributed most often is good for everything but Harry Potter rides. I think there's one that's good for everything but Hagrid's, and then the one that's good for everything.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I stalled those times we did it, and uh, the second... Second experience, I stalled at the same point you're talking about, and both times when we got back to the unload area, uh, they told us if we wanted to ride again, just step to the side, and we were loaded onto the next car uh, <laughs> immediately, and they were doing that for everybody that had a bad quote-unquote bad experience with with any stalling on the track. So it is it's nice that you know they realize the time investment that you've put into waiting for the attraction, right. that if you don't get the perfect experience, they at least give you some option as, as a makeup for it, which I think is really cool.
0: Yeah, no sense messing around because most people are waiting an hour plus for it. So yep. I get it. Uh but no, great ride. Great ride.
2: The 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 theme the theme park that's most local to me is Holiday World. And they have they had the first winged launch coaster. It's a B and M coaster. And the first year that they put it in, it was having problems stalling. And in fact, it was actually blacking out not only other parts of the park, but neighborhoods surrounding it, uh, because of how much current it draws because <laughs> of linear induction motors. And they actually uh, I think the second year that it was in, they installed like a little uh, substation there next to the ride and that completely solved the problem. So I have no idea if that's in any way related to the issues they're having there at Universal, but but hopefully it's something that they can figure out what the problem is and, and get it legitimately yep. fixed and not just hope that it you know people stop expecting it to work.
1: Uh, I've been monitoring moderating the the wait time all week, and it's been about 90 minutes all day, okay. which to me just seems like a normal wait time for- That seems,
2: seems like the right attraction. amount of wait time. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I, I, I haven't been or seen, or if there has been issues, people haven't been chirping about it as much on Twitter. But yeah, I, I would think a 90-minute wait is very reasonable, honestly, for an attraction that's this popular.
0: Yeah. I believe the sad. day that I was there was October 2nd. Uh, I was there right at Rope Drop. And was able to ride twice using single rider by 1030. And i am guessing it was probably a 60 to 90 minute posted wait time, um, for total standby, but, uh, I was able to do that. And comparatively when I got off the ride at, uh, 1030 forbidden journey had a five minute wait. So even if that ride is showing 60 to 90 minutes for a wait time, you're going to be pretty darn quiet elsewhere in the park. Yeah. So, um, are you saying on property, Ben?
1: No, just right off property, but we're okay. within walking distance of the uh of the parks, so very close.
0: In all likelihood, you won't need express pass for really much of anything other than maybe uh Kong. Yep. So anyway. Uh the other things that I did do uh on um I guess Fast and Furious, technically speaking, it is a ride. Uh that's the best <laughs> thing I can say about that. <laughs> Um, it is, it is awful. It is awful. And uh, that's a great
2: fucking review. Like, headline, <laughs> like technically speaking, it is a ride.
0: Uh, Fallon was better than I expected it to be, but a longer experience than I uh, probably would. Uh, it, it isn't worth the length of the experience. If that makes sense.
2: There's not many attractions that, that people say that about like universe of energy had to hit 45 minutes to get people to say that. So that's, that should yeah. give you some insight into how problematic that is.
0: And, and part of that was just that, Uh, they have the holding room and I felt that we were in there for like 20 minutes to half an hour and probably didn't need to be relative to where everything else was in the park that day from a crowd standpoint, but it was, it was a good ride. It was better than I expected it to be. So yeah, those are the new to me things that I did.
2: Do you think that if that ride went away tomorrow, that in in 15 or 20 years you would think back fondly on it or would you just forget that it existed on Fallon? Yeah.
0: Nah, No. Yeah.
2: (laughs) <laughs> that's the
0: that's I mean, the stuff that
2: the style just made the, of. The,
1: the, ni- I, the nice thing with that attraction though is the like the area that it's in and especially the actual ride room where the uh, where the vehicle's at it's not themed at all inside there so whenever the day comes that they want to rip out the theme of it and and Redo it with another, you know, keep the ride system, but redo it with a uh, another property. Shouldn't take very long to switch it over.
2: And okay. that's what we call, we in Disney Imagineering called the black box
0: model.
1: Yes, yes,
0: yes. Um, speaking of Imagineering. Uh, <laughs> Woo, segue. <laughs> we nice. are we are all. Uh, uh, what's the premier members of the Disney Plus uh, uh, program? I think if you live Lost in the state, you're, you're, you're issued it now at this point. And the thing that's perfect fodder for us right up our alley is the Imagineering Story. Uh, It's a docuseries that's on here. This was actually first announced at the 2013 D23 Expo as a documentary to be made by Leslie Iwerks, uh, and it evolved into this docuseries we can tell in the first few episodes that we've seen that some of these interviews are definitely six to eight years old. Some obvious giveaways as some people that are no longer with us that are being interviewed in what appear to be recent interviews. That's pepper's ghost. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Vaughn made the cut. Uh, you have a, uh, uh Kevin It'd be Rafferty. Awesome if in episode five, they airbrush him out of it. <laughs> that <laughs> you would
2: have, be a baller move.
0: <laughs> you have Kevin Rafferty looks to be about 30 to 40 pounds ago. Oh, Mark. That's, Mar- that's a
2: weightist comment
0: <laughs> he, he yep. actually it looked like he was too skinny in some of the uh, uh, <laughs> interviews that he wow was good save so, um, <laughs> so, i'm saying is man, this is probably good uh, thinking <laughs> by the way check out kevin's book uh, <laughs> anyway um we both watched uh the first two episodes that they've aired uh when this comes out On uh, Thursday, I believe the next one is coming out the following day. So uh, we will not have seen episode three yet, but uh, there is something in, in episode two that I want to get to, but do you guys, I'm sure you have thoughts on the first two episodes. So why don't you uh, fight over who talks now?
2: I have over two thoughts. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think this is, this is the most exciting, interesting moving thing that I've seen from Disney in the last 10 years. Um, it, it in fact it gives me hope because even though it didn't come directly from Disney, it it sort of reminded me, despite the fact that I'm very negative about some things that have been happening in the parks, that my love for this place uh, is rooted in something that's worth caring about. Right. I wished. I, I think when I went down to Orlando last month or two months ago, that I was hoping that Epcot Forever was going to sort of give me that <laughs> nostalgic tingle. Breaking it news did.
0: still sucks.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's a train wreck, but this did. I mean this is this to me is Epcot forever. This is the story of why I care. It's it just it touches on so many things that I care about the parks, uh, the the incredible charismatic visionary that Walt was, his ability to simultaneously be a ballbuster and also inspire the people around him to do the best work of their lives. And to to leave a legacy that's affected hundreds of millions of people.
0: If we were to have the resources and the talent and the time, this would be the documentary <laughs> that the three that the three of us would put together. Yes, oh,
2: that's literally all we're lacking:
0: <laughs> the, the motivation, the lighter
2: qualification, the skill, the vision, the talent. <laughs> Other than that, we've got it all. We that's have what false... our goal was for this show.
0: We came up wildly <laughs> short.
2: Yes. Um, But it is, you know, and and one thing I will say, and I I made a comment on this in the Facebook group. What I think is the most inspiring about it is that it is not so much that this is about incredible people doing incredible things. It is regular people doing incredible things, Mm -hmm. despite how talented so many of these Imagineers were. Uh, you know, and I'm just not, not just talking about the, you know, the original nine, I'm talking about, you know, the second and third generation Imagineers and, and the guys that are there to this day and girls, you know, in a, it would be, it would take very, it would take a very small number of life decisions made differently for them to end up doing something that where it wouldn't have touched anyone, but they, but they did something incredible. And I think almost, I think some of them are even shocked at the degree to which they touch the world because they're just ordinary people. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the magnificent thing about that, particularly for people who are younger than us is that they have that ability. And I do think that part of what, what is magical about Disney and what was really magical, magical about Epcot for me was it, that it instilled this notion that just regular old you, or in my case, me, can go out there and make a meaningful difference in the world. And and that is a really, really powerful thing to actually make people who are frail and insecure and just regular old human beings believe that they can go transform society uh, is a very, very powerful thing. And that was it's your
0: empowerment sentiment that you mentioned 10 episodes ago.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still there. And I, you know, and I, when I go on property, it's, I see the weirdest things that remind me of it, but it's, the the character injection is is hard for me to get over, and in a lot of the Imagineers that they interview when they're talking about Epcot, uh, there's at least there's one quote in particular in episode two where I I wish I could remember who said it I, I don't I, it might have been Card Walker it might have been someone else he said that the you know the whole fundamental idea of this thing was that it was all the creativity and magic of Disney free from the characters mm-hmm. and to hear that in 2019. Uh, is a little bit of a kick in the balls quite frankly because that is so antithetical to the direction that that park's actually taken it, it it it's hard to it's hard to appreciate the history of Epcot and listen to the people who built it talking about it and come away with anything other than the acknowledgement that the thing that they built is no longer there uh, and th- and that's depressing
0: but but nonetheless if you want to see what our sentiment is for the future of Epcot what we'd like it to be there's probably 10 quotes in episode two that kind of frame Epcot in a, in a single sentence or two uh, and each of which we would accept as the future of Epcot.
2: Yeah. I I would say if you can watch episodes one and two and not tear up a little bit, at least once or twice, um, you don't have the same affinity for this place that I do. And occasionally people on Facebook or whatever will tell me that, you know, they don't think I really like the place because I'm so critical. Um, I don't get it much anymore because I don't think anybody listens <laughs> to me. But um, you know, I do love that place, and I and I love more than just being, you know, machinery and pavement and a, a place that you spend a lot of money to go to. I, I appreciate the the message and and the hope that it sort of embodied, and and I think that that hope is still there. But I I do think that in the grand scheme of things, if you were to fast forward a hundred years and look back, I think that we are sort of at a little bit of a low point in terms of the the truly inspirational aspects of the Disney company. This is sort of the profitable money-making part. I don't think it's the inspirational innovative part and that that is a little bit of a bummer. You know, when I compare it to things like SpaceX and seeing what Elon Musk is doing, it's truly groundbreaking <laughs> literally in the case of the Boring yes. Company. You know, it's it's stuff that's just it seems almost impossible when you hear him make an announcement. You go, this guy's a kook. That can never happen. And then three years later, which is like no time at all, it's happening. Like that's really, really impressive. I don't see that with Disney right now, but I also have hope that that could turn around and be different in the future. So
0: I think we, I I agree also, and this is very much a popular topic on our show, that they are very much in the milking what's there standpoint. And I say that knowing that they are spending a lot of money in Walt Disney World, but it is still trying to get the most out of what's there and turn yeah. every profit of pavement, every swatch of pavement into a profit center. But uh, Ben, yep. I'm sure you have takeaways from uh, the first two episodes as well. What were your, what were your thoughts?
1: Oh, um we haven't actually watched the first two episodes. We've just been watching the sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Well, how uh, give us a full rundown of that. Well, season one, episode one starts with no. um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, my thoughts on on just the series overall will be a little bit, I think, summed up shorter than Josh's there. No offense, buddy. Thank Sorry. You. Uh, <laughs> my thoughts are I paid for three years of Disney Plus in advance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like after two episodes of this show, I've already gotten my money's worth. Well, for- I paid
2: $12 for those two. So I'm doing <laughs> actually $7. So I'm doing...
1: <laughs> well, I, I I love if this is, you know, again, this is what they're coming out of the gate with, and hopefully they can keep this up. And I think this is something we're going to touch on here uh, in, in a few minutes. But this is some of the best content I have just ever seen about the parks. It, it's I don't know. Yeah, it is the best content I've ever seen about the parks. yep uh, I don't think I was expecting this Uh, and what i mean by that is that you know they touch on the good but they're also not afraid to touch on the warts of the company Uh, i I liked how they talked about the layoffs and how they feared christmas you know during that period in the 80s like a lot of companies would whitewash that stuff out of a documentary about them and keep it all you know happy and cheerful especially a company like like disney that's known for that they weren't afraid to talk about those things, and I'm, and- I'm
2: shocked by some of the quotes that are. Yep. That thing, honestly, no. I mean, and I when, love it. It makes it so real.
1: It, it does. It, it just makes it so much more legitimate. Uh, it makes you believe everything that you're seeing up there and in the, in that it's not just some piece of propaganda that's coming from the company. Yep, so, uh, and, and, you know, we didn't touch much on the first episode, but just that footage of Disneyland, the early days, the the footage of Walt walking through the uh, Orange groves, surveying the land in his, you know, jeans and, and kind of Western hat and just the stuff we've seen before, but it just seems so clean now. I don't know what kind of... Uh, uh, treatment they maybe did to some of that old footage but everything just seems so nice crisp clean and and beautiful and like you said if you don't tear up uh multiple times then 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 you you don't have the affinity that some of us do and the the uh <laughs> i go back to that first episode with the matterhorn and the yeah. walking around and yeah. I, <laughs> oh man i i get goosebumps right now just thinking about that when you know signing the walls and, and uh Bob's like, you know, I, I, have never signed the walls because I've never worked here. Yeah. And then, and then just, it's, I, it just seems so genuine. The off the cusp, would you like to sign the wall? And, and the, the, the emotion that overtakes him, that he kind of bottles up, but yeah. just the real subtle. Yeah. I think
2: I would. The this, yeah. this,
1: this stuff like that's amazing. And no
2: one, no one is that good of an actor. That was real.
1: No. That's so real. So, uh, I can't recommend this show enough. I think every Disney fan that has the service that you know loves the parks the same way we do feels the same way. I can't see I can't see how anybody has anything negative to say about this show. It's just from the big the the first minute of the first episode to the last minute of the second episode, it's perfect.
2: Let me ask you guys a question. One thing that I've struggled with is when I encounter friends who who know that I like Disney is to to help them understand what it is that I appreciate about it. It's like, I feel like I have a duty. I actually drove there with a few friends a few years back. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling like I had this obligation to give them the context so that they could see the place the way I did. Mm -hmm. And I never felt like I did anything approaching a reasonably good job at it. And I now feel like I have something to point them to. If I ever know in the future that I'm going to go to one of these parks with people who are not sort of indoctrinated into the history of Disney, I want to insist that they see this first. Because I think that seeing this the the amount of appreciation that you get for what is there is so much greater if you understand this than if you just go there and be like okay i'm going to pay 100 and whatever dollars to come in here and then god knows how much for a hot dog it's it, you know it transforms what the place really is and i i think to to me that's what i care about because at the end of the day There's lots of places you can go on a ride. There's lots of places you can go get a meal. There's lots of places you could stay at a nice hotel. There's something more about Disney, and it it sort of defies describing, I think. Mm -hmm. It defies my ability to describe effectively. And more than any production that I've ever seen in my life, this documentary does that. And that sort of gives me comfort because it's like, sweet. Now I can just send someone a link instead of trying to do my best (laughs) to explain it to them because I can't. It's exhausting, and I never do a good enough job. And this does
0: any good documentary, regardless of the topic can entertain people that aren't interested in that topic. So I would, yep. I would be interested to see or hear the opinions of somebody that couldn't care less about the parks Yeah, uh, and, and, and sees this to see what their perspective is. But to Josh, to your point, I really enjoy taking friends around the parks that have never been, or maybe hadn't been since they were a kid. And there are a few different approaches depending on the person they may want to know everything about every area that you're area that you're in. Maybe they want to experience it for themselves first and then get a review of
2: those people are great. I love the curious ones.
0: And I, the, uh, uh a trip I took maybe 10 years or so ago, uh, with, uh, the guy that ended up being the best man at my wedding that he wanted to experience the things first. And then, we had a a long enough trip that pretty much everything worthwhile he was going to see twice. So between the first and the second experience on something, whether it's walking through a land or going on an attraction, I was able to give him a little bit more of the backstory and kind of explain some of the placemaking and things like that. But what you, you asked how to do it. And if you really are enthusiastic about something, you can kind of sell that enthusiasm. But I look at areas of Disney parks and their artwork I could I could walk through the Louvre and it wouldn't mean anything to me. Uh-huh. Um that's not entirely true, but you understand the sentiment that I'm getting. You don't at.
2: appreciate it it's to the degree that it deserves to be appreciated. Right,
0: right. That that's a fair a more fair assessment. That it doesn't mean as much to me as walking through a beautiful area of a theme park. Right. That I can see that this in itself is is art. And yep. yes, it's entertainment from like, all right, there's a ride over there and whatnot. Um, but the, the well-executed story that is surrounding you is in itself art in the same way that a good novel is art. Right. So being able to articulate that, uh, that's not necessarily what this docuseries is about, but it shows the people that understand that concept uh, and, and their passion and exhibits all of that. And that's really where this is hitting us yeah, I agree. It is perfect fodder behind the scenes, in front of the scenes, stories uh, that they don't hold back any uh, any details. All of that is just fantastic. And I wonder if uh, some of the stuff in episode two where they're not exactly glowing on Michael Eisner, um, if he was still involved in the company, if some of those things would still be allowed in, or how much editorial process the higher-ups are going to get in future episodes.
2: know. That point is very interesting because there there's something to be said about the fact that the most compelling Disney thing that we've seen in a long time isn't actually from Disney. It is on a Disney uh, you know service, but it wasn't produced by Disney. And that makes me wonder if maybe they're not so close to their own game that they can't. Uh, maybe that's why they're having trouble tapping into to the nostalgia of fans. Is that they're they're just so close to it that they can't see it? I don't know, but uh, to me, it's interesting that it's a third party that produced this most, uh, you know, inc- just an order of magnitude more compelling than anything that I've seen uh, in a long time.
0: When you're saying it's a third party, what do you mean by that? Because as as far as I know, Leslie Iwerks who's putting this together, is she on the Disney payroll? I mean, she's obviously connected by name to uh, to Disney.
2: Yeah, my my understanding was, uh, you know, the truth is I don't know. I don't I don't want to tend to know things I don't. Uh, I thought it was an independent production, obviously with the consent and uh, you know buy-in of Disney, but I didn't think that it was a Disney production per se. And some of the quotes I saw it certainly lead me to believe that. And you know, one of the things that's interesting, just as a sort of a, an aside. You know, Apple recently got into the content business with Apple TV+. And one of the big criticisms and concerns about them going into that is that as a very uh, family-friendly company, there was concern that they would want to have sort of corporate censorship over the creative process. And that was... You know, when I hear about a Disney documentary being on Disney Plus, my thought would immediately be that Disney is going to be exerting a lot of, you know, if not censorship, at least some steering currents as to what's going to be in the content of those. And based on what I saw, I don't think that's the case. And I think that if Disney Plus wants to be able to promote, you know, outside content that is highly successful, uh, I have I have a lot more confidence now than I did before that they're going to be able to do that because I think the best. Creative people don't want to be censored, right? They want to be able to, to go with whatever they feel. And I, I feel like this Imagineering story is is the story that these people wanted to tell, even if there are warts on it that the Disney company might, in some sense, prefer not to be made public. Just to be
1: clear. I think it'll be interesting.
2: Oh, sorry.
1: I, I, I was going to say, I think it's going to be interesting to see how much it stays that way as it gets closer to the current regime. I think Agreed. they might be I think they might be comfortable with, you know, yeah, look at the warts wart during the uh, the the 60s, 70s and 80s because that's so much distance between what we're doing now. Yeah. Will will they admit to errors and mistakes made over the last 15, 20 years? That's that's still uh,
0: you know. That's a, a great question. Scene. I'm guessing they take the American adventure approach where they just don't talk about it. That's what it is. Yeah. Guess. yeah. Uh, in recent history, it's harder to do that than it is 30 years ago. And well,
2: uh, the, also, recent history, it's hard to know whether the decisions were right or not.
0: No, we know. We know. We're right.
2: You know? <laughs> <laughs> we're right. Yes, this is correct. Trust me. But it, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's much easier to look at something that happened 60, 50, 40, 30 years ago and say, you know, it was either good or bad because you have the unfolding of time to reveal the consequences of those choices. Right. It's much harder to look at something, you know, uh, how do you look at Frozen replacing Maelstrom? and really give an analysis of whether or not that was a good choice or a bad choice. We'll know in 15 or 20 years, maybe, but we don't really know now. We could certainly, I know that what the three of us would have to say about it. But it that also
0: depends on a metric of how are you measuring success? And that's I, I agree a with loaded you. question. So
2: I agree with you. That, that's, that's, I think that's the overarching problem with all of this, is that how do you actually success? Walt measured it, I think, by just joy and innovation, which is something I relate to. Um, and I think all of us do.
1: I was just going to say frozen ever after was a great idea.
2: <laughs>
1: you shill
0: <laughs> frozen ever after was a great idea. Just in the wrong park. Damn it, they uh, got <laughs> and the fact that they're cloning it in Hong Kong is beyond stupid, <laughs> but that's beside the point. Um, so on the heels of the Imagineering story, this is, as we said, right up our alley. And we thought that there's room for more concepts in this. And it looks like on the store on the uh, docuseries itself, they're just going chronologically, but there are other avenues within Imagineering within that niche that uh, we would like to see them explore. So we've all kind of come up with our own ideas, but Ben, why don't you kick us off with what you were thinking with this? Well, I like the, you know, what we've
1: seen so far in the Imagineering story, the, the small snippets of, uh, the stories, about the behind-the-scenes tales from the Imagineers, and, and we're getting, you know, just a few lines of dialogue each time that we go to them. And we obviously have seen a lot of these guys talk. We've read their books. We know that they're just loaded with stories. And so, uh, as we're sitting here recording this podcast, I'm, you know, in my office looking at my DVD shelf, and there's <laughs> like, there's like five DVDs of uh, an evening with Kevin Smith the uh, fame director that I have that I've watched multiple times and it's nothing more than just Kevin going on a stage, telling his stories and then opening these are great up. by the
0: way, not related to our show at all, but by they're all means
1: watch these they're amazing. And you know, it always ends by opening up to a Q and a session with uh, his fans. And I would absolutely love to see these imagine years that, you know, and, in, and, in, in, some of the older ones maybe you get on it first but even hearing from the newer guys who who are you know responsible for building a lot of the new things in the parks uh hearing those stories and then doing the Q&A sessions and having these one off in you know an evening with so and so an evening with so and so and and putting these up there as you know one offs you know, do it in a, do it in an auditorium setting. Do it on the Disney lot. It can be filled with Disney employees for all I care that are asking the questions. But I want to hear more of these stories. And I, I like the idea of uh just a one-on-one setting where where they're they're free to roam and talk and bring up any idea that they want to and then taking questions that would spur it on. It's not a whole lot different than the uh imaginary you know, dinner or dinner offerings that they've offered at Walt Disney world, where you have dinner, dinner with an Imagineer and you're just going to sit and talk, you know, talk the shit and hear the stories and ask them questions, do that, record it and put it up on this service. And I would watch them over and over and over again.
0: Yeah. There are versions of this, and this is kind of why we podcast, why other people come up with their own podcast, um, where you have, uh, various podcasters that will get interviews with Imagineers. Um, Dan Heaton, for example, has gone in depth with some some people behind the scenes. Some you may know, some you may some you might not on the Tomorrow Society podcast. By the way, check out his most recent episode where I was on it. But uh, he's had uh, Jalen Cicero, um, who was big on Mystic Manor out in Hong Kong, uh, a handful of other kind of uh, people that were in early Epcot, and really just some some great interviews. And there's plenty of other ones. There was a Kevin Rafferty interview, and I forget which podcast that was on recently. Uh, Tony Baxter's done a bunch on um, – uh, I'm, I'm great at this now off the, off the cuff as to who, uh, who Tony Baxter appeared uh, on his show.
2: Yeah, it was uh, – I know what it was. It was uh, the Super King- 78 guy.
0: It was um, on Kingdom Cast. It was yeah. not on Kingdom Cast.
2: Uh, I I know who he was on. It was what the fuck is the name of that podcast? <laughs> season it's, Pass um, podcast. Season Pass. Yeah.
0: Yes. You. They've they've had Tom K Morris on as well. So there there is that fodder out there. And it's on a e-ticket, lot of, a lot of these guys <laughs> are uh, are doing it relatively unfiltered. But to have it sanctioned by Disney and have it, you know, with production value, I mean, give give people at home the. The uh, expo experience, where they get to see a panel yeah. from from the expo, uh, sure. all of that is perfect fodder for this. And really, all it takes is a is a camera at the back of any of these presentations, like Destination D, and just put that on the uh, yeah on the streaming I mean, platform.
1: If from Imagineering story, you can tell Marty Sklar has a thousand stories. I'd love to see yeah. them sit down with him and tell them all. It's going to be harder now
0: without some <laughs> smelling salts and a heater, but you know. <laughs> oh Wow. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I believe Sorry. that was uh, Good Will Hunting that that came from. Wow.
2: <laughs> Sixth uh, imaginary Edition.
0: <laughs> well, I think Marty Sklar has a few more interviews left in this uh, docu-series. <laughs> because yeah, a lot of these were recorded probably six to eight years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No, I, I, I love that idea in all seriousness, Ben, that like, gi- give us more access to to this, that's what we're asking for. That's why we like this and uh, access to people that were uh, past present uh, imagineers. That's what we want to. That's what we want to
1: see. Well, and at the risk of stepping on Josh's idea, uh, in our text group, you know, you had mentioned that you wish you yeah, Maybe it was after the first episode because obviously it didn't do as much after that. But uh, you had made a comical remark of wishing that you saw more than just Bob Gurr walking around the parks. I would not mind seeing an Imagineer do a step-by-step take you through an area that they were lead designer yeah. on or attraction and give me, give me an hour full of details. Show me everything. Show me the inside joke. Show me the thing that you struggled to make work uh, and do it on an episode uh, or attraction by attraction manner.
2: Backstage with Bob. We're yep. calling it now. I feel like I was just misquoted there, but I'll I'll take you at your word. (laughs) God knows what I say when I've been drinking.
1: If I said Josh, I meant Tim. My bad. It was
2: was Tim. Sorry. Yeah, you can wear that. It was
0: smart. That's why. I
2: can tell the (laughs) difference. No wonder I didn't recognize it. (laughs) I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts. There's a certain irony, I think, to the fact that one of the things that was clearly very important to Walt was injecting innovative new ideas into society. And the reason I say it's ironic is because Epcot is this vision that he had that so many people who are fans of Disney say was a failure. But at the same time, the real core competency of the Walt Disney company is telling stories. And now they have this platform that at least 10 million people subscribe to on day one. Yep, And they've proven through this documentary that they have the ability to be to tell a very, very compelling nonfiction story and that they can leverage the capability of their artists in order to do that in a way that's able to touch people that aren't necessarily experts in the fields that they're talking about. So the thought I had as I was watching, particularly episode two, where they introduced Epcot was that, you know, if you look to, to the side, uh, look at Apple has iTunes university, Google has Google scholar, um, you see a lot of companies nowadays that are leveraging the the large audiences that they have on their platforms in order to make what was previously something you'd have to go to college for available to the masses. And it seems to me that the spirit of Epcot is very capable of living on way outside the boundaries of Epcot by producing compelling things about Urban planning and maybe environmentalism or whatever, but all of the ideas that are that are sort of central to building modern new cities that are you know separate and apart from what we already have. It's not just an evolution of cities that exist, but a, but a new idea. If you're going to start from scratch with a blank piece of paper, a true blue sky idea, which is there's nothing more core to what this podcast is about than talking about that blue sky idea. This is the place to do it. You don't necessarily yeah. have to. Uh, present the vision of Epcot at Epcot. Here's another channel that the Walt Disney Company has to express new and innovative ideas, to pull ideas that are happening in industry and explain them to people, and to sort of break down the barriers that intimidate people about modern technology, uh, and and perhaps pave the way for a more, you know, high tech, efficient, uh, hopefully friendlier, both in terms of people and the environment, future. Um, and, and that's what I would love to see them do, because at the end of the day, Epcot was just a medium. It's just a place. It's just it's, you know, it's a physical location. It's not. But what was magical about Epcot was not that location. It's not that acreage. It was the ideas. And it is not tragic if Epcot became a theme park instead of a city. What well, would be tragic is if the ideas and the spirit of innovation that was at the core of Epcot were to die. And here's a chance for that to live on in a way that doesn't in any way jeopardize or undermine the company's need to, uh, you know, profitize that company and and generate revenue with it. So that's what I would like to see them do with this, along with 500 other things that are character based.
0: There there are plenty of things that I'm sure that they've filmed that they've got uh, in the vault or just sitting around collecting dust somewhere that all kind of fit into this Imagineering mode. They've created channels for, they've created a Darth Vader channel where all of the movies that have Darth Vader in them are, are on it. You hmm. can absolutely create an Imagineering channel. And yep, one of the, one of the benefits that Netflix has is that it can carve the thinnest of niche out of any category and subcategory. And, I'd like to see Disney ultimately get to that point. And their library is so vast that they can certainly do that with existing content, not even having to create new content. Uh, there are those old travel channel shows. I think it was destination America. Some of them picked up some of them. They did a special on, I believe it was national geographic for making a thrill ride on Everest. All of those things are stuff that's already created. You just need to put it on the streaming platform. But I'm I'm saying this with absolute seriousness. Why not put Martin's vids on there that there is I know that this isn't necessarily the imagineering side of things, but he effectively creates mini documentaries on extinct attractions but doesn't have access to the vault. Yeah. so why not why not work with somebody like that, if not Martin himself, and say, all right, let's reproduce these with our content and with you dialogue can put it you can put it together yes with dialogue would help with with uh, interviews from the people that were involved and give, give Martin a producer, a director credit because he's done a lot of this research and legwork himself. Um, and not to say that I'm volunteering Mark uh, Martin's time.
2: I am. It's fine. I have one mandate though. He has to learn that color. There's no you in the word color.
0: <laughs> so, so, so British spelling uh, issues aside <laughs> beyond the imagineering side of things, there is a historical, need where disney is disney and the disney parks are part of our history in the uh in the 20th century now the 21st century that i think going through the archives and looking at photos and and footage of of stuff like that would also be right up our alley and I mean, I just looked, took a quick look at some Martin's vids and these aren't things that have millions of views, but also he has zero dollars for an advertising budget. He doesn't have a platform that gets 10 million people that could actually drive it to it. And he's still getting, you know, tens of thousands of views on these things on a regular basis. So I'd like to see those sorts of things as well.
2: But. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Martin, I, I think at the core of what you said is that Martin loves these places the way we do. Yeah. And, and those are the people that I want to see in charge of producing content.
0: Yeah, I mean, reach out to uh, uh, people, open up the uh, the hiring budget for the Disney Archives and have a Disney Archives channel on Disney+. Plus.
2: God, can you imagine how good I mean, you can see just from the first two episodes of this show, I mean, I've seen things I've never seen before, and I've spent, I don't know how many thousands of hours, I assume, just Googling any obscure keyword I can to try and find Epcot construction pictures, and here 12 minutes in on episode two is things I've never seen before. Uh, It's remarkable.
0: I've spent a ton of money on Disney movies over the years, and I've been uh, submitting my points on Disney movie club to work my way up to the tour of the Disney archives that they have on there. And I, I finally do have enough points, but the last couple of times I've been out to California have been during a D 23 expo when they aren't running tours of the archives. I've done a, I've done a private tour. I'm, I'm very jealous. And that's what this would be, Ben. And it's something that, is clearly up Ben's alley. I'm sure it's up Josh's alley, and it's certainly up mine. Uh, that's the type of access that we want to see. Things like that. Yep, is is very much uh, up our alley. I was so. going to say that's probably the best
1: perk I ever had from doing Inside the Magic when I got reached out to the guy running the archive saying, "Hey, I listened to the show. Want a tour of the archive? Yes. No, let me think sure. about it." Sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's so awesome yeah,
1: just me and him walking through and he started me from the wow. first vault and walked to the last vault it was amazing
2: that is really really cool i would love to have that experience
0: the way this works for anybody that's interested disney movie club if you buy physical media or go to see movies and theaters you can get points and up to a certain point i believe the tours are in groups of eight traditionally if you're not ben um, so you can get one where where it's just your group of up to four people or you your group of up to four people is with another group of up to four people. Um, so still pr- relatively intimate, not one on one time, not necessarily, you know, you can totally pick out everything you want to see specifically, but something that is 100 percent on my bucket list.
1: Unless you're me. When I was asked, hey, what do you want to see something from? And I said, Casey at the bat. And we okay. went and found the backgrounds and you started pulling them all out and we got to check it all out. And then I got to hold the... Whole de- oh, it's and it's one of my all-time favorites. Uh, but then also going to the Nightmare Before Christmas and holding the individual Jack Skellington heads that they used in the movie. Oh, moon. wow. Awesome stuff.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Uh, any chance you have pictures of any of that stuff? Heard of the no novel,
1: pictures allowed okay. whatsoever. Yep. Now, okay. and the, the coolest thing was back when I went, this has been... Oh, it's probably been eight years ago, uh, but they were going through digitizing everything. They were okay. they were taking everything uh, cell by cell, drawing by drawing anything they had. They were making digital copies of That's and uh, last. Well, and he went, do you want to see Steamboat Willie? <laughs> I was oh. like, hell yeah, I want to see Steamboat <laughs> Willie. And the, the 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 drawings that he showed me, he's like, you, if you look here in the top right corner, you'll see the the co- uh, the rings from the coffee cup that they set that he sat down on it while he was drawing the pictures. And Jeez, I mean, that's
2: geez. fucking moving. Awesome. Awesome stuff. So it makes yeah, it, it real, you know, that's, that's yeah, oh, the basic yeah. thing. Yep.
0: I remember, uh, Mongello telling a story and source aside, uh, he was talking about the animatronic. Um, I don't know if it was a parrot, uh, that, they used and disassembled for uh, the inspiration for the Tiki Room, but they had the bird that was disassembled in there and and put back together. And what Lou was dumbfounded by was the thing still worked. And uh, <laughs> I, I think Lou, he censored himself on a show as he is known to do, but he uh, outwardly said like, holy shit, <laughs> the thing still works. Um, and stuff like that, that, to maybe your average person on the street where they don't necessarily understand the significance of it. All right. Not as impactful as it as it is to the three of us, but yeah. Yep.
2: If, if I could tell a really quick story here, sure. Probably five years ago, my accountant, ironically, uh, posted a comment on Facebook that he had taken a trip with his family to Disney and how he was really, really blown or disappointed by the Tiki room and didn't understand why this was an attraction and what a disappointment it was. And I, And I responded saying that, you know, there's a historical significance here. This was the first foray into animatronics and Walt wanted this thing, but they couldn't have real birds because they would shit in the food. (laughs) And and this was like, you know, basically the foundation upon which all of these other attractions grew out of. And, and he wrote me back and, you know, he was very, very critical in his comment and his response. He was like, you know, thank you so much for sharing with me. I wish I'd have known I'd have told my kids about it. it would have been a whole different experience. And I'm like, the only thought I had was why the fuck am I the one who's providing this context? You know, why doesn't the Disney company take some opportunity to, to present this background to people so that they can appreciate what's there. Um, So, so again, there's yet another opportunity for them to use this new platform to do that.
0: I think some of the historical things, and I'm going to use that to describe the Tiki room because there have been rumors, uh, whether or not Corliss saved it or not, uh, or the country bears, things like that, that have a fondness to, fans of nostalgia why not just own that why not introduce it like you do over at carousel of progress and the monitors that are outside of that or like they did with captain eo when they brought that back they kind of gave a tribute to it right before you got to go into it um there is room in a lot of those attractions where you could do that sort of thing and be self-aware but uh, i understand not doing it everywhere but for something like the tiki room that in its current form while shortened is largely unchanged from the original, from just the uh, content standpoint, Mm -hmm. Uh, explain it, say that this is, this is what it is and why it's important to us, that sort of thing. And it it makes it a,
2: it's like, imagine a history museum. Mm -hmm. If you didn't explain to people that it was a history museum none of those exhibits would make any sense. They would all be just <laughs> right. I mean, isn't that, isn't that an important thing to know? And isn't <laughs> are that what Tiki Room is?
0: Really, can't they just go right? to the store and get mammoth meat? <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> but I mean, to me, that's what, that's what Tiki Room is. And maybe to a lesser degree, Country Bears, I know it's Ben's favorite attraction. I'm, I'm not trying to go down that road or, or poke your ribs, but you know, it's like, I just feel like it's a missed opportunity because it's something. There's
0: one Hagrid's two.
2: It's probably a negative uh-huh. to most guests but if yeah. just with a little bit of context it can be a whole new thing and then the fact that it's outdated instead of becoming a being a detriment is now the point and it doesn't take any money
0: it's a just, whole new thing was the final 2 minutes of epcot forever oh jesus <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you know i think it, this kind of leads into another idea for disney plus that you know spurring from the non- talking about the archives and talking about these items like that, you know, we live in a time where some of the most popular shows on TV are things like a Pond stars where they bring in an item yep. and then they sit there and talk and describe about it and give the backstory yep. and the history of it. That's, that's uh low hanging fruit. I feel for this company, uh, go over there in each 30 minute episode can talk about three different items. And let's talk about the history of this drawing. Let's talk about the history of this audio animatronic, give the backstory of, uh, you know, Buzzy sitting over there in the corner. What's he from and where'd he, <laughs> Sorry, I had to, Uh, but no, I I think that would be very compelling content that, that we would eat up and Disney fans would eat up, uh, you know, on, on Disney plus.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Do we have anything else on the uh, uh, Imagineering story or our or our Disney plus ideas. I
1: I do find myself. I'm at the point where I'm already dreading how many episodes are left. I don't have, we ever, have we been given like a, a a idea of how many episodes this is? Is it a one season show? I do have a little bit of hope that it has it referenced as season one. uh, When you pull up the items. So does that maybe lean to there can be a season two, because I don't want this to end.
0: (laughs) I'd be surprised if it's more than six episodes. I really would. I will tell you that I have the attention
2: span of a retarded goldfish with a head injury. <laughs> I am I, I mean I can get bored 3 quarters of the way through sex.
0: And we'll look at Castle. We'll when, look the, at
2: Castle. <laughs> when these episodes end, I'm disappointed both times. I mean, I want more. I it just it hits me in all the right places. I think this is the favorite thing that I've seen in terms of a show. Uh, that I can remember. It's absolutely awesome. And if you haven't checked it out, if you're on the fence about Disney plus, I am not a show for this company. I assure you, I'm getting paid absolutely zero for this, but if you're, I think there's a free trial, but even if there's not, this is worth it, right? The price of admission, even if you only get it for a couple months to see this, do it. If you care about, if you care about the parks enough to listen to this podcast, you care enough about the parks to pay $7 to see these shows. Right.
1: Absolutely. I I think uh, two things that we can take away from this, though, Uh, one, just like they're doing with Jon Favreau uh, from the Mandalorian and the news coming out that he's going to have an expanded role in the upcoming Star Wars universe because of the uh, what people are taking away from from his new show. This whatever Leslie Iwerks wants to do next, uh, if it's Disney related whatsoever, Disney just needs to say, go do it. Do it. Uh, Yeah, because. It's not just the, the 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 content of the show that we love, but it's just well made.
2: It's the, so the, well made. It's so pacing, good.
1: Yeah, the pacing, the editing, everything about it. Whatever she's done in, in the in the stamp on it that she's put, uh, she needs to be allowed to do whatever the heck she wants to do next.
2: I'm, I'm just I, gonna go and call it. It's a masterpiece. It it really is. This this is gonna. This is the seminal explanation of Walt Disney that I've ever seen.
0: Yep. It is It is great, and I'm looking forward to episode three on Friday, hopefully. I, I assume it's going to continue with the Friday release schedule. We don't know oh, for sure.
1: That's, that's the other thing I was going to say is I know there was some question about Disney doing the once-a-week release of episodes going away from the Netflix model of yep. just dumping everything out there at once. I love this. I love that it builds up anticipation. I love that it gives us a week to talk about what we just saw. Uh, I'm, I' I don't mind binge watching a show, but I think it has taken away from what people get to do of you know taking the time and making this like a, a communal type deal where we're all watching the same thing at the same time, getting you know when, when this new episode comes out on Friday, we're all gonna watch it and we're all gonna f- start texting each other or doing whatever to talk about that episode. Whereas with the Netflix model, and they just dump everything out there at once, you know, I might be on episode 1, Josh might be on episode 3, Tim might not have started it or whatever. Right. We're all off on a different pace. I love this weekly Drops that they're doing on here. uh It's
2: so funny that we are talking about releasing TV at yes. a set time as though it is an innovation. Yep, I, I love it, it. it. Yep. <laughs> ne- I hear that next year they're actually going to be transmitted over the air, and you will need rabbit ears in order to receive it. It's going to be a breakthrough. <laughs> the
0: uh, you 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 joke, Josh. The laughable thing about all this, about all the various streaming services, is we are not that far away from these starting to be bundled and effectively just replace cable with various yep. streaming services. Yep. And Disney's already doing it with Hulu, ESPN, and Disney+. Plus.
2: All right. I would hate to be a cable company CEO. Well, I guess it'd probably be a good job anyway. But yeah, you're probably I mean, okay. I, I haven't had cable in five years, and I don't miss it at all. I mean, I, the idea of being told when I'm going to watch things is so incompatible with how I've become accustomed to watching things that it doesn't make any sense to me.
1: I tell you, I I work in the regional sports business uh, for a regional sports television network, which means in, in you all, anybody listening has it. Tim, you know, it's the nesting up in your world, yep. uh, things like that. And that's, that's my only holdup is figuring so, out how to get my regional sports, uh, through a streaming service and a rel- reliable method, because a- outside of that, I'm ready to drop cable and just get on with, with our different streaming services, especially the way, like you said, they're going to, they're bundling now and it's only going to get more. Uh, I bought an iPad recently, which I just found out came with a year plus, uh, a year subscription Apple, yeah. for free of Apple plus. Uh, so Yeah, once the once the sports side of things get figured out, uh, I think I'm cutting the cord and I'm done with it.
2: I was blessed without giving a shit about sports, so I didn't have that problem.
0: (laughs) That's why I referenced Tim's regional sports and not yours. (laughs) Good call. Uh, Minor tangent here on on sports in general, and this is uh, in part condemning uh, Ben's parent company. Um, One sports needs to be in 1080p or 4K, uh, and until they're streaming at that level. Unfortunately, we're going to be stuck with broadcast. And right now, Thursday Night Football is available in 4K, and that's about it. Uh, Baseball—they did the a- the ALCS and NLCS in 4K, but then didn't do the World Series. And it's it's really kind of laughable.
2: But small correction: it's actually UHD, not 4K. 4K is a cinema standard. UHD is a television standard. One is 3840 by 2160, and one is 4096 by 2160. So don't mean to be a don't mean to be a sourpuss there, but you got to get these things correct.
0: Uh, Josh is a blast at parties. You can rent him out. Uh, it will <laughs> have a couple of fresh
2: rates. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm your guy.
0: Earlier,
1: Josh said he was a nerd when he was younger, and I just wanted to know when he grew out of that. I was going to make that. Now comment I am
2: out, a mega nerd.
0: <laughs> Regardless, the sentiment is still there. Um, but anyway, uh, we've got other topics to discuss beyond Disney Plus, beyond the um, Imagineering story. Uh, within the last week or so, Uh, there has been information put out there by WDW magic user S W G E possibly standing for star Wars galaxy's edge, possibly not where, uh, he or she went through a detailed description of the three pre-shows as well as the ride for rise of the resistance. The ride opens in two weeks, hopefully, uh, his descriptions were later confirmed by other people such as Martin and uh, a few others that are trusted over there. So, uh, I know you guys read it. I don't necessarily know that we need to go uh, line by line, but if people are interested, it is spoiled over on www.magic.com for people that don't want, uh, don't want to be surprised or ruined by it. But um, it, it sounds impressive. It is very much in the, if they can pull this off category uh, where that caveat is, is huge, but if they can pull this off, I think this will live up to the best ride on the planet. Uh,
2: I mean, sure. I will tell you that I had two impressions as I read that. Well, three. The first is that I don't really know the characters of the, the franchise well enough to appreciate some of the details it were revealed. Uh, but I think there is some significant concerns operationally that this thing might not be a disaster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, and I, just for those of you who are curious, go read it. I, I'm not going to give you any spoilers. But let's just say that there are, whereas a lot of attractions have let's call them contingencies to where if something breaks, there's a way for the ride to continue to operate in some degraded mode. Yeti, right. um, you know, this one apparently, you know, according to this rumor, which could be correct, could be not, but I'll say it, it read is credible to me. and um, was verified by
0: other people as well. It's pretty much yeah. in line with what we know it to be just with a little bit more detail.
2: Right. And this ride apparently doesn't. So it's, you know, you can describe it as having a single point of failure. If one thing goes down, it it doesn't, change the experience in a negative way. It it shuts the experience down. Yeah. Um. I forgot the other thing I was going to say, but it was profound.
0: <laughs> there are a few different, there, there are a handful of moving parts here. Uh, and that kind of is an understatement. There are a lot of things that can go wrong. And, when something is 2 weeks away from opening you always hear reports of everything is going wrong there's no way in hell it's going to it's going to make opening and we've been saying it for months now that this very well could have the slow painful opening that Hagrid's ha- had over the summer and if it happens in Florida it's going to be leading up to the very busy Christmas season the time that it's opening in early December is relatively quiet um but it's not 3 weeks removed from the busiest time of the year so I hope that they are ready. I hope that this is flawless and perfect and the best ride in the world when it opens. And assuming that everything operates and they don't have to cut things out, then it very well should be. Um but I, I watch thought of this my second space. point. Go for yeah. your profound statement.
2: It was that the magnitude of this attraction as embodied by that leak just sort of makes me even more confident that they made the wrong choice by opening this land early Um, because it didn't open as the greatest theme land on the planet. And it didn't have a chance of without that attraction. If they had opened it with it, it would have had a shot. Now, whether it would have made it, we don't know. We lack that data. Um, But it's, it's a very confusing decision to me. And the fact that Bob Iger essentially had to put an asterisk on the earnings call um, (laughs) tells me that, You don't have to take my word for it. It seems like an objectively verifiable fact at this point that they made the wrong choice here.
0: Ben, you said uh, on the heels of your universal only trip that if this was open, you would be going over there. When is your next trip? Did reading this push that date up? Uh, When do you think you're going to get a chance to see this? It will be July. Okay. Okay.
1: Yep, uh, I don't think I can justify an earlier trip out there as much as I'd like to. Now, the big question will be if, uh, obviously, I've read this, I've read the other rumored uh, track layout stories that have been out there over the a few months. I think the bigger question will be, can I keep myself off of watching the right videos <laughs> on YouTube?
0: I know that I can't. I, I don't think, think I, I do not
1: if, if, if my trip, if I had a trip like in February, I think I could maybe pull yeah. it off, but, uh, July is way too long. Uh, now, now the funny part is I've not watched a full video of, uh, smugglers run yet. I've seen bits and pieces and clips, but I've not sat through and watched an entire, have uh, you not done pre- that
2: yet? I no, thought no. you, go- you had, okay.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. I have not had the desire to <laughs> sit down and watch that from beginning to end. I'm excited to ride it. Don't get me wrong, but uh, this this attraction, when those videos start hitting, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep myself from uh, popping up multiple versions of it and and checking this thing out from every angle before I get to ride it.
0: People have said that the the best comparison of how they opened Star Wars Galaxy's Edge was if they were to open Pandora without Flight of Passage. I think a better comparison would be opening Diagon Alley without Gringotts. And I say that with every expectation that Rise of the Resistance will be a better attraction than Gringotts, but the experience of that attraction, uh, of that area, was getting to ride the Hogwarts Express. So you'd have the Hogwarts Express experience, much like you had the Smuggler's Run experience, but not the... Attraction that's supposed to be better than the Hogwarts express It's
2: it's like foreplay without the actual final act. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. And that's probably unless you're, you know, 16, not the yeah. goal.
1: But at what point do we just start taking this as the norm with Disney? You know, it's like opening new fantasyland with Enchanted Tales with Bell, but not Seven Dwarfs Mind Train. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean,
1: they're, they're starting to do this on a on on the regular now.
2: And I think it's because they haven't been held to account. Um you know, at the end of the day, as capitalists, we have to acknowledge that that money talks and they haven't been hurting in that department. They, they make these decisions that we as hardcore theme park fans criticize as being stupid. Uh, yet, at least up until Galaxy's Edge, the people still came. Now, right. I think that the message was transmitted because the people didn't come with Galaxy's Edge. Uh, you know, and Disneyland in particular is... Quite the enigma. I don't even right. know because it it drained attendance at the other parks, which I lack any rational explanation for. Um, and it will be, I think, you know, making a mistake doesn't tell you much about a company or about a person. It's how they respond to it. And if in you know next year, two years, three years, five years, they're still doing this, and the the feedback from the community is still that it's problematic and the guests don't come, then obviously you've got a tone deaf management. Um, but hopefully there was a lesson learned here. And if it was, then, Hey, fine. You know, I
0: I actually think the lesson learned here is there are going to be less single themed lands. So it's not going to be a problem. That's going to really even have cause to repeat itself. I think I'm fine
2: with that, honestly, because single themed lands are almost always directly tied to an IP. So,
0: right, right. So, I, I think the the initial thought was double dip and do it that way. I, I would, I'll actually give them a pass on Seven Dwarfs Mine Train because that was something that changed in the development process where they pulled two things out, I believe, after construction had started and changed the process. But I understand what you're saying, and the the goal for uh, Star Wars was absolutely hoping to get two different attendance boosts, and it just didn't work.
2: So plus Fantasyland. Yes, it's new Fantasyland, but it was not a new land. I mean, Fantasyland is still there. People knew what Fantasyland was. And to this day, the overwhelming majority of what Fantasyland is is the same as what it was in 1971. So, you know, I think it's different than than new acreage that's just been plowed and you're going to announce it as this new, you know, land to the park. So I think there's a distinction.
1: They should have built New Fantasyland, though, around a fairy tale that none of us had ever heard of before.
0: (laughs) That would have been a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Would have been a great idea. Um, moving away from Rise of the Resistance, uh, I don't anticipate that we will record a show before that opens. So we will uh, give our best YouTube uh, viewed review of it once it comes out. Unless it's like e-ticket and our next episode's next January. Yes, that's the plan. Uh, <laughs> minor hiatus, guys. Um, <laughs> the other topic that I think was the reason why we wanted to record today and then just we came up with other ideas as we continue to delay this recording um josh had a, uh, a statement several episodes ago saying that projection mapping is the opposite of charming and i think josh correct me if i'm wrong here that your your thought was not that you disliked the projection mapping but that uh something that disney was so good at historically was charm and we uh, josh pose the challenge to us of how do we address that? How do we even quantify charm? And is there a way to fix what we're perceiving as a problem that some of the charm has left the parks?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure what I was thinking about or doing when this idea came to me.
0: How high were you?
2: (laughs) I was not. Um, But, you know, I think I'm a big fan of technology. Anyone who's listened to me at all knows that. Mm Mm-hmm but i think that when technology is used for the sake of technology it doesn't warm people's heart it might impress them but in some way being charmed i think is different than being impressed it's just it's a subtlety it's a it's a nuance if you look at a ride like like mr toads even even in the 50s there was nothing really impressive about that from a you, you know it wasn't grandiose it wasn't in your face it was just it just it, it connected with people on a human level, not on a technological level. And I, I think that the, the company's gotten a long way away from that. You look at, at some of their most um, you know recent projects, My Magic Plus probably being the most obvious, it is completely about technology, completely about logistics and planning and, and data gathering. And it's nothing to do with just making people happy. And I, I wonder if to some degree the company has started to to forget that just appealing to people's sense of happiness is what this is all about. And I I made that comment long before I watched either of the episodes of the Imagineering story. Yeah, Um, But it's very clear listening to these guys that that that's what they were trying to do. They were just trying to do something that on paper is simple, which is to create joy. But that objective informed and directed all of the decisions that they made. And I I don't, I don't look at a lot of what the company's done lately uh, and, I, I can't find myself believing that that's really what they're pursuing. It's it, it's something else. And I'm not sure what it is, um, but it's like it's trying to be the best or it's trying to be huge or it's trying to, you know, do breakthrough things. And all you have to do is read the company's press releases to to see that. You don't have to take my word for it. Um, but I think to some degree, people are just sort of simple creatures that j- just want to be tickled.
0: Yeah, yeah. So when you threw this out there, I it kind of – caused a brain dump on my part where I just threw things out there that, all right, is this charming? Is this not charming? What does this mean? I think that some of the components of charm in a park is the, how do they do that aspect of things. And I think there is a component of that with uh, projection mapping that you see people's jaw, you see people's jaws drop when they watch a castle show and they see it transform in front of their eyes. I think there is an expectation that that's what we're going to get Mickey and Minnie's runaway railway where there'll be scene changes in front of us that seem to happen with a snap of a finger thanos style but something that was kind of the, the first thought that i went to when you mentioned charm uh, ben you've seen it josh i don't believe you've seen it is the hatbox ghost over in disneyland this I'm was not, like yeah. this was like a mythical thing that was installed originally in the Disneyland version of the Haunted Mansion and taken out really before the public was let in there. And presumably the original version was another parlor trick to make the head disappear and appear in the hat box. Uh, The new build of it, I think is praying off of that or playing off of that uh, mystique of the hat box ghost. But the actual effects is nothing challenging it's all digital effects there's nothing really as a wow factor that people see there and yes it's cool that the hatbox ghost is in there but i think when you use it with all right this is the easiest way to do it it's not something that i don't necessarily know how to do the uh uh, digital effects that they're doing there but it's something that is relatively easy to comprehend whereas How do, we, how do we make ghosts appear in the ballroom? I'd say 99% of children that go through that are mystified by how those ghosts appear.
2: I think that that percentage probably applies to adults as well.
0: That, that's probably fair as well. Um, so there's, there's no mystery about how some of these things are done. Uh, going back to that rise of the resistance um, scene by scene that we read, there seem to be some components in that that do jump into the how do they do that aspect of things? And they are somewhat simple effects in the sense that it's not just projection mapping. It's not just a, uh, a screen that's well hidden or anything like that. So there's one combination of it.
2: I didn't interrupt. I'm sorry. I did not interrupt, I guess, but there's one scene that I saw in a promo video and I commented on, we talked about it briefly where lasers like cutting into the ceiling And and it seems based on that spoiler we saw that that is going to be a part of the ride. And I will tell you that if that, uh, if that, and they called it a practical effect in the spoiler, which makes me happy because that leads me to believe it's more than a screen. It's some hybrid between, you know, a projection or a hologram or a pepper's ghost or whatever. And, you know, the physical environment around you. And I will tell you that if that thing looks 80% as good in real life as it looks on that video, then that is probably the most impressive illusion that i've ever seen in my life it is very if anyone hasn't seen the video you should go back and see it it is impressive
1: well in that promo spot also has a part what looks like it's a pre-show area where kylo is above you and looking through you like through some graded area and again his lightsaber uh turns on and so they've they've yeah that's the one i'm talking about well they, they they show that image twice it looks like it happens twice and for them to be showing it that much in the promo video, uh, there, it, right? it it makes you think that that's a, they think it's a really cool effect that they're pulling off. So yeah, again, like you said, I, I've watched both of those new spots that are out and probably 90% of those spots I'm sitting there going, how are they pulling this off? Yeah,
0: Josh, I'm not sure if you've seen the spot that Ben is referring to. There's one that came out like today or yesterday as well. Yeah.
2: Oh, that i have not seen
0: so there there is one where a lightsaber is cutting through around your vehicle uh that has been described by many people as a practical effect i i would be shocked if it looks as good as it does in that video but to josh's point if it is it i i'd, I'd drop it even below 80 percent if it's half as good looking as that um then it's still going to be a pretty darn impressive effect.
2: It looks so good in that video. I mean, it looks like it it looks real. It's the only way I can describe it. I mean, we, I mean, all of us, look, if if you're listening to this show, God, certainly if you're on it, we're willing to suspend disbelief, right? We're happy to walk away from the office and the stresses of life to be, uh, you know, tricked for a while. That doesn't look like that. That looks like there's a dude cutting through the ceiling with a laser. I mean, that right. is what it looks like. It doesn't, you don't have to suspend disbelief. That is just, it looks like that is actually happening. And you don't see that very often, even in the Haunted Mansion. You, you, yeah. They look like ghosts dancing in the ballroom. You don't really think they're ghosts in the ballroom. This looks real. And that is, that is a new level.
0: The, uh, uh, moving away from from that effect. Did you guys have anything specific related to charm or even ways to improve upon the charm in the park? Uh, that kind of came to mind. I did. Okay. Go for it.
2: I think that one of the most important experiences of driving on a, of, of going to property is the drive in. Okay. And one of the things that Walt certainly commented on and that we've all talked about is the blessing of size. And one thing that is abundantly clear when you look at pictures from the 70s or 80s and even the early 90s is there used to be a tremendous lack of clutter there was a lot of open space there was beautiful landscaping it was it truly was Walt Disney World it didn't seem like a theme park you know a commercial enterprise because there wasn't all of the trappings of it being shoved in your face all the time and that is an aesthetic I believe an error that the company has really embraced over the last 20 years that they could improve just by eliminating. So on world drive, for example, the billboards, you know, you're people who are on that road, they're going to the parks, you know, what are you selling them at that point? Why not open that up? Why not make that a cleaner sightline line again? You know, a little less commercialism in your face, um, is charming because commer- you know, advertising is not charming. Advertising is manipulation. It's the opposite of charm. Um, and I think Walt Disney, it's, it's a good enough place to stand on its merits. You don't have to shove it down people's throats. And I think a little more subtlety um, would be charming. It would, appeal, it would appeal to people's sense of um, you know comfort as opposed to just feeling like you're constantly trying to literally re- reach into their car as you're driving down the road and rip more money out of their pockets.
0: What would you ex uh, I mean, I understand what you're saying about getting uh, rid of some of the advertising billboards that are on property, but i I think that having having something else to replace it, having something else to kind of give you the vibe that you're there, one obvious thing would be the monorail uh, another but the monorail's there uh, well what what I'm saying is like a way to kind of just ease you into Disney World. Uh, so so some of those transportation things, if the Skyliner works uh, consistently, perhaps yeah. that as well. I'm not a hundred percent opposed to the marketing, but I, I think something that is that is uh, more timeless and more Disney is is what is desired here. So perhaps not your traditional billboards. perhaps more things similar to that Tower of Terror, uh, the, that was
2: the, the one movie. I was talking about. I would get rid of that. The really? bugs, okay. yeah. What the bugs' the
0: life? Bug? I think is gone actually. But
2: okay, good. Uh, I would get yeah. rid of all of them. I, it's I to me, and and I get why they're there. And honestly, from a marketing perspective, it's probably not stupid. You got kids in the back of the car, and if you went to Magic Kingdom, Daddy, what's that? I want to ride on that. Well, it's a different park. Okay, I get it. But look, um, the spontaneity. I guess here's my problem with it if we were still in an era where people were having spontaneous Disney vacations, then maybe it would make a lot of sense to try and appeal to that spontaneity, to get you to spend another day there and go to, to uh, you know, s- the studios. But, but mad magic plus has destroyed the spot spontane- the spontaneous vacation. So it's like you're getting hit from both ends in a way that I think is negative. It's the marketing that would appeal to people who were able to just on the spur of the moment, decide to hit another park, but you're also getting bombarded by the fact that if you do that, you're going to have a subpar experience because you didn't make your fast pass reservations 90 days out. So
0: you, you hit on the issue, Josh, you, whether it was your intent or not, you, you hit The (laughs) the issue is the, the scheduling, the,
2: well, that was a big, my magic plus is a big part of what I objected.
0: They've they've prioritized efficiency over charm and they've made the day feel more frenetic as a result of it. Um, I, that's basically what I, I wrote up, like several bullet points and paragraphs in those bullet points about what that issue is. Uh, so before I even get into that, Ben, I don't know if you had other areas of focus there, but I, I think Josh may have hit a significant, uh, aspect of it. Uh, yeah, mine
1: came from just a different angle though. Uh, okay. from, from a former cast member, one of the things that's happened this last year that just made my stomach turn and, and really, uh depressed me more than maybe the uh, the guests but the uh and this might sound dumb but when when especially at the hollywood studios they changed the costuming over to a standardized look for all cast members Cut. in every attraction i thought that was so depressing
2: i don't think uh, that's a, i don't think you're wrong there at all I you're think stripping you're out story that's and a huge deal. Yeah,
1: exactly. And from the cast member side of that, I can tell you from when I worked at the jungle cruise and I put that jungle, you know, the, 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 the jungle shirt on and my hat that I got to fold and twist. And, you know, I, we all gave our hats stories, why they were so torn and tattered, but what, what happened to those situations when I was at Muppets and I had my Bob lab, pick would
0: say that you would have your own backstory.
1: Exactly. Uh, well, in, like at Muppets, I had my lab uniform and the lab coat was optional to wear. I wore it every single time. Why? Because when I had that on, I wasn't Ben from Texas. I was working for Kermit the Frog at Muppet Labs and it let me get into the story. And at that point, I could pass that story along to the guests who were coming into the attraction. When I look at standardized uniforms, you know, there's another, uh, uh, Amusement park that does the same thing. It's Six Flags. They all wear the same thing at every attraction. Yeah. I don't want to go to Disney World to go to you know to, to feel like I'm at Six Flags, and I fear that you know what they just started doing this last year. It's going to get rolled out to other sections of parks, especially especially like when you have the Twitter mob. I'm sure you all saw it when the the, the two cast members were walk, walk, walking through Frontierland. Out of costume, uh, from I think they had advent, they might have had adventure land uniforms on or something from fantasy land, and it blew up on Twitter. How dare they do this? And again, that's what the utilidors are for. Yes, the, the idea is that they're not supposed to be seen in those areas, but right. Because it caused such a, a crap storm on Twitter, I can see Disney going, Well, you know how we avoid that? We make them all wear the same thing. Yeah.
2: Walt yeah. saw the same thing, and his solution was not to give everyone a nice <laughs> uniform. <It's>,
1: yes. So,
2: <laughs> so he, he's like, let's buy 27,000 acres in Florida to fix this problem. Disney's like, hey. <laughs> yep. We're gonna we're gonna give you a polo shirt. Done. So
1: so when this idea was pitched, that was the first thing that came to me is just the the stripping of the uh, it it, it's it seems small again but to me it's not small and obviously to you guys it doesn't seem small either but it's just one of those other you know a a nitpick that they i don't think they look at the overall impact of what doing something that they think is simple and you know i get i get it on their side they order one set of costumes they don't have to order and you know get 20 different things tailored you know with 20 different materials this and that but uh it's I was re- pennies,
0: though. I mean, it's pinch I, pinching pennies. pennies yeah. Pinching
2: I, pennies. <laughs> I remember years ago an episode of Fanboys where I don't remember the exact title. But the thrust of it was, you know, destruction by degree, and and the point was, you know, it's the aggregate effect of all of these little changes that really creates the the biggest harm in the end. And I I think I don't even think that's a little one, honestly. I mean,
0: no, no I, that, I
2: I, think I that's remember a big deal.
1: I remember as a kid thinking how cool the haunted mansion
2: costumes were. Yeah,
1: and just like man, they get to no. do that, and they, they they get to be in character. And
2: I now they still have those, right? They haven't eliminated they, that. No, they,
1: yeah. they they haven't eliminated that. But okay. at what point do they? You know, does it come? Will it come? They they've already started the process. I hope to God they don't do it. But uh, you know, that, that would be it horrifically
2: damaging to that attraction. No,
1: no joke. And and that th- those cast members that wear that costume, they act that way because they're in that costume. If you take that away, then you're just having some college program kid not giving a crap and moving people through an attraction.
2: If you put me in khaki shorts and a polo shirt, I'm going to act like a golfer yep. because that's the costume I'm wearing. You know, yeah. Yeah. come on. I mean, it's just, that's natural. I mean, why do people wear a suit? I could tell you, I remember when I first became a lawyer and wore a suit the first time, you know, not that I'd never worn a suit before, but people do treat you differently based on what you wear. I mean, it it might not be fair and it might not be right. And there's a whole social bullshit there that I don't care about anyway, but um, (laughs) you know, that's just the way it is. We, we infer certain things about people that we see based on their appearance, whether we want to admit it or not. And certainly at a place like Disney, that's not a problem. That's the whole point.
0: Right. So to that point with, um, uh, those costumes, they did the same thing over at Epcot a few years ago where American Adventure went away from their wardrobe and I think kind of made them all look like Pan Am pilots. And <laughs> over at over at Hollywood Studios, the thing that's kind of dumbfounding about this is they normalized costumes elsewhere in the park. And then Galaxy's Edge, you've got a choose-your-own-adventure style costume where you can pick from a multitude of different uh, tops, bottoms, accessories. All sorts of things where, so any
2: logistic advantage was destroyed.
0: Yeah, it's it's really kind of confusing (laughs) at best. (laughs) Some of the I want to go to uh, before I get into like my Disney experience, just in in general touring the parks, and I think charm plays into this. I've noticed, and I'm sure you guys have uh, felt the same way that time spent at the animal kingdom and Epcot is different than time spent at the magic kingdom and Hollywood studios. Yep. Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely. They're experience parks.
0: Exactly. Exactly. They are uh, driven by the atmosphere while magic kingdom and Hollywood studios are driven by the attractions. Yep. And part of that as well is like how we tour today versus yesterday. Uh, There has been a shift. We we talk about this on the show. We talk about uh, what capacity an attraction has that was never really discussed in uh, you know, the early nineties, late eighties about Epcot, because everything was super high capacity and there were just bigger experiences. You didn't have to really worry about the wait time. Um, and then when you add in uh fast pass, it kind of disrupts those lower capacity attractions even more and making uh, you feel like you're at a tremendous disadvantage when you don't pre-plan your trip. So yeah. I think it is very reasonable to say that a Disney vacation today is far more stressful than they were 10 to 20 years ago.
2: Which if you just say that sentence out loud slowly and listen to your own words, you're the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, most people are trying to escape stress.
0: Right. Right.
2: And, And I, I think, and look, I get it. Look, I've been in a company where I've made, I'll just, I'll follow my own petard here for the sake of, uh, you know, fairness. It's natural when you make a decision that that involves a lot of money that you want to make it work. You know, there, there's a reason that there's a sunk cost fallacy in the world. People don't want to see an error and then immediately say, okay, it's wrong. We're going to just, you know, consider all of this investment to be lost and start over. And I, I, I still have some hope that there will be some retreat from this, you know hyper planning model that disney has right now this is not the way to increase capacity the way to increase capacity is to use your blessing of size you have to expand the property because at the end of the day even if you even if my fast uh, my magic plus worked better than it did and it made the onboarding of rides uh, you know the the process of getting on rides more efficient it doesn't do a whole lot to increase the footprint of the park so you still have this very high density problem that is stressful. Most people don't like being, you know, shoulder to shoulder and chest to back with people. Um, and, and if you do that for, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours a day for five or six, seven days in a row, that's not a vacation. That's a punishment. And Josh, my density has brought me to you. <laughs> you are my density. <laughs> Great talking reference. <laughs> now I'm completely distracted
0: um right. the the next thing on my list is something you basically just hit on though uh that more right. attractions does help solve the problem uh but the fact that they kept the park stagnant for so long means that this latest push and they are building gosh I was trying to think what are they five or six attractions that are under construction right now they're they're playing catch up from not doing much in the last uh 10 years but i also think that we We discussed, uh, following the d twenty three expo, uh, that the framework that they set forth for future world very well may be looking to address this, that it, that it's certainly reasonable to say that like they broke up areas of future world and are talking about some of those diversionary things that very well may be charming, that that new pavilion that's going in uh, very well may satisfy the uh not jumping from attraction to attraction but just things that don't need a fast pass that you can just go and spend half an hour 45 minutes in and just enjoy your time there and not have to stress about whether or not you're efficiently touring the parks yeah. so there there is some hope there but it still doesn't fix the greater issue here that they sunk so much money into my disney experience that they need to see some level of recuperation of that. And yes, some of it is infrastructure, but infrastructure also includes the technology development around it. And I think that, that a change to the fast pass system is absolutely necessary to bring Agreed. charm back to the parks. Yep.
2: Yeah, I, to me, that is, it's the sine qua non. If they don't fix that, nothing else they can do is going to fix it.
0: Right. So I've got a, f- I've got a few. That's what I was going to say. It's, I was going to say, so I think it's a sign, not con one.
2: <laughs> Excellent <laughs> Latin.
0: <laughs> Disneyland has Fastpass and doesn't have the problem to the same extent as Disney World. The simplest solution is switching to MaxPass. Um, it's free to resort guests in certain AP levels, but a ticketed up charge for non resort guests. If you don't have MaxPass, you need to book at the centralized kiosks. That solves the problem not overnight because you still got 60 plus day bookings, but if they were to suggest that now and say like beginning April 1st, that's what we're going to do. I would, uh, I would applaud them. I mean, uh, maybe I wouldn't applaud them because they're fixing a mistake of their own doing, but uh, it would, it would solve a significant chunk of these problems.
2: I'll applaud them. Okay. I
0: hate advanced bookings. uh, But if that's a deal breaker for Disney and others, I think that there are other options as well. I've suggested it in the past. I think two rolling fast passes with one being able to to be booked in advance for maybe resort guests only. uh, I think that two rolling fast passes that can overlap upon entering the park will will partially solve the frenetic issues. Uh, So like in, in theory with this, you check into the park, get on your phone and grab a fast pass for Jungle Cruise at 930, and you already have one for Mine Train. So you go ride Jungle Cruise. Once you've used that, you roll it and you get another one. Say you want Peter Pan, and the next one available is... 130 but the system won't let you get that because you've got mind train they've got the logic in the system and that's part of the development costs here so you can still utilize that and not fully toss it aside by taking a step back and away from advanced bookings i think there's there is still the framework that exists that can still be used for a more enjoyable guest experience
2: yeah i i think that a FastPass is a perk and not a necessity to have a decent day that that's okay Um, But the the irony is that the, you know, the rationale for this program back when I heard it announced was to increase the overall capacity of attractions and what it actually has done is it's harmed a lot of them. So that doesn't make sense.
0: I feel that pitch was given by people that don't regularly go in the parks yet. They were in charge (laughs) of them. I mean, seriously, though, like that pitch was a Jay Rizzullo pitch. Yeah, You never saw Jay Rizzullo in the parks. This wasn't somebody that understood the park operations despite being in charge of them.
2: Right. Well, it's the, like the sometimes thing. you'll hear computer software described as, like, it's a word processor that was designed by people who've never typed a document. Like, that's right, right. that's that's a horrific description of a product. Um, you know, and I, I don't disagree with you.
0: So, Josh, it sounds like your focus growing up uh, with the parks was kind of bouncing from attraction to attraction. Ben, I suspect yours wasn't uh
2: where did you grow up ben if you don't mind me asking i I don't know this and i think this plays into this because i was a local so i mean i was florida i wasn't super local but it was it was a casual affair for my grandparents or parents to take me to disney so hitting everything wasn't critical to us
1: so i uh born and raised here in dallas fort worth texas and uh lived all my life about 30 35 minutes from six flags over texas and so uh you know my, my well, my first exposure though for I, I I didn't go to Disney World until I was nine ten ten that was that was my first trip, but I had been to Six Flags many times uh before that, obviously. and I really, I didn't approach Disney much different than I did Six Flags, and that was running around attraction to attraction whatever huh. had whatever had the shortest line, that's what we went to and tried to. We, we would actually look at maximizing our day more than uh, anything else. How, how many rides could we get through? And that often times was just reflective on what had the shortest weights. And, you know, if it, if it was a walk on, we would do it multiple times in a row and we would consider a successful day based on how many times we rode a number of attractions, not necessarily if we hit certain attractions.
0: OK, we would. Did you repeat things on a regular basis, Josh? Was that like a family I mean was that like a family practice where like intraday that you went on the same ride multiple times?
2: We treated Disney like it, it was a very casual affair, like I okay. said because we we're close so so sure. it was just there was never an agenda and that's what that's what made it great. It was just go there. you know, I had my favorites mm-hmm. um. You know, and if I wanted to go do something five times in a row, we would. If I wanted to go do a bunch of stuff, we would. My grandma loved to shop, so she'd drag me around (laughs) to stores. I remember going to Lake Buena, what was it called? The uh, Buena Vista shops or whatever. Um, You know, downtown Disney slash Disney Springs. Um, And I I always hated that. But, yeah, I mean, it was was truly just like going into another world where everything was nice and fun. And um, there was, you know, as a young person, there was never an agenda. I don't think my parents and grandparents had one either. It was just, it was a great place to spend a day and it was not at all stressful. And I, I could tell you, I know my parents, they were not stressed out there. Um, and I i don't, you know, I have friends now that have kids and they go there and it is a, it is a process that they have to engage oh, in, in order to try and to, to do a trip effectively.
0: We going with somebody with autism is a little bit different perspective. Uh, <laughs> my, 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 <uh-oh>. uh, <laughs> careful. I, I got careful, the joke. Oh, careful, oh, got it. Uh, going, <laughs> going with, with somebody with autism is a different perspective. And, uh, I mean, my my brother had his own routine at the Magic Kingdom and was anxious if he didn't hit his favorite rides. Uh, so there was definitely that bouncing from ride to ride at the Magic Kingdom, but over at Epcot, I I loved exploring the post shows, like, I could spend hours in imagination and world emotions post shows, yeah, or even being let loose in the Centurion. and that's kind of. What I'm getting at that those types of things I believe are still there, but there I'd like to see more of it. I think that what they what they announced at the D23 Expo for Epcot may include some of that, but I think that the and we discussed it on here a while ago that the queue and post show model can potentially switch as well. That something like Test Track is a great spot to have a test for this where perhaps your holding area for test track is the current post-show and the setup becomes like the Fallon or uh, fast and furious or Dumbo setup that you can get that post-show experience as you actually wait for the queue, uh, wait for the line. Right. Um, I think that might be, well, it's a very a efficient time. use of time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you're also going to get a situation too, where, um, the kid that wants to, uh, play in the post show for half an hour, 45 minutes and mom and dad are looking at their watch and know that their next fast pass is going to expire in three minutes. You got to pull junior away from whatever game they're playing. So it's a little bit easier to say, Hey, we're going to go ride the ride now uh, that you're actually in that building, as opposed to, we got to walk halfway across the park to go on something, you know, it's, it's kind of a, uh, a change in the approach, or we can come back to this spot And once we ride the ride, you can go back and play the thing that's secondary, you know? Right. I I mean, there are approaches to change this. I think the biggest one Josh hit on uh, is some sort of modification to the hyper scheduling. That increases stress. And that, I think, more than anything, more than anything physical they put in the park will help improve the charm of the parks again.
2: Yeah, I can't argue with that at all.
0: Yeah. So, on that note, uh, if you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at Called, or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Uh, We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate links over on martycalled.com. It doesn't cost you anything, but helps us fund the show with purchases you are going to make anyways. Ben, where can we find you online? You can find me on
1: Twitter at Real Skipper Ben and you can find my top 10 column in each attra- each issue
0: of Attractions Magazine and uh, Josh how do you spell your website uh,
2: utilidors.com imagine the correct spelling and then add an extra O <laughs> 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 is it utilidors.com yes that's it
0: dealer's yes. choice to where that extra O goes
2: utilidors.net or dot com, I'm pretty sure it's dot
0: .com <laughs> uh, Star Runner that. fans out there it's dot .com Yes. Nobody gets that reference. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at WDW Theme Parks on Twitter, Facebook.com slash WDW Theme Parks or WDW Theme Parks.com. That's it for this episode. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Meow meow. Peace.
2: A little visitor now. <laughs> Attawaioli how you say it in Cherokee. Oh, well, pardon my French, but uh, I'll be damned.
1: <laughs> Walker told me I have AIDS.